So we have, uh, you know, a fascinating world where we, we, we always have distinctions in terms of what the left believes, what the right believes, uh, what what vegans believe and what carnivores believe and, uh, you know, what, what different religions there are and such. Always distinctions. But it's interesting to know what differentiates uh, the left and the right. And we, we constantly are talking about that, right? And I, I've noticed... As I talk to my Facebook friends, I talk to uh, my, my liberal, very liberal brother, and, and you know, look, it's, he, he's, he's a great guy, uh, one of the most astute liberals I, I can think of. He is really great in many ways because I see very intelligent arguments uh, regarding liberalism on the one hand and uh, very intelligent arguments regarding why he doesn't believe in God. He's an atheist. And, and he's not the only one. I've got plenty of other liberal friends like that, but uh, he's, he's a, kind of a good package in a sense because he, he has both those things that I were diametrically opposed to. We are great friends, by the way. It's, uh, it, it only is proof positive that you can get along with family members even if you are diametrically opposed to them. And do whatever you can, folks, uh, to, to keep the family relationship going. Um, I've, I've decided with my brother, at least, that uh, it's best not to talk politics if we can. Um, we, we can talk about God, but we don't talk about politics anymore. And, and part of the reason why, and I, and I noticed this, and he got, uh, he got pretty pissed off at me. I don't know why, um, and you'll see why soon. I, I said, do you notice, my brother, I won't even mention his name, do you notice how when you focus on uh, your politics, you focus a lot on the individual, meaning the individual candidate um, or politician, as it matter. It might, might be. So she'll, he'll focus on Trump and his weaknesses and the stupid things that he may say or not say, uh, actions that he undertakes. But you and I will focus on the policy, right? We don't care so much um, about the actual messenger so long as the policy is getting through. So we don't care if the candidate who is going to be embodying our policies of conservatism, whether he's short, fat, and bald, and for that matter has bad breath or whatever, we just, we don't care about that. We do care whether or not he's effective in getting the message out. So to, to, a, limit, to, to a limited extent, we're concerned because we know that in, in the real world of today, that how you project your image is very important. That, that's fair. Uh, so, you know, John Kennedy looked better than, than Richard Nixon, as an example. But again, that's just kind of window dressing on, on the issue. We care more about the policy. Does this person effectuate and embody the notion of policy that we believe in? So we, we believe that policy first, individual second. Let's put it that way. By contrast, liberals, the way they talk is all about um, uh, the individual first. Like, I really like Hillary. I'm with her, for example. You saw a lot of that talk. This is what, you know, Ari was talking about offline, and I thought it was a really astute point. Uh, you know, I'm with her. It was the constant refrain. No, you, you should be with the policies that you think she's going to embrace and move forward for you. I, I get that. But you, you, you keep on saying, I'm with her. And the same thing was true with Obama, same thing with, with Clinton, um, and, and same thing you know, with every, virtually every um, uh, liberal policy leader that you can, you can imagine. And we'll talk about each of them in their own way. Uh, but, but that is how you approach it. You liberals approach it. We, you know, I mean, we had 17 candidates, I think it was, right? And for, for you and I, Ari, both of us shared the same viewpoint, which is, which of these 17 can best carry the message of, of conservatism, right? Where does he stand on this issue? Where does he stand on that issue? And, and <clears throat> will he embody that the best way? It, will he fight the liberals the best? You know, we joke around a lot that um, liberals go to Washington to make laws, right? And that Republicans or conservatives go to Washington to stop liberals from making laws. And we joke around about that, but you know what? That's really the truth. That our, our major mission is to stop the left. They are destructive to the economy. They are destructive to foreign policy. They're destructive to America itself and the whole notion of Americanism. 
uh, the notion of liberty itself, that we, we believe all those things and we've got to stop them. Virtually every law that they passed, that they pass, that, that it's in opposition to the conservatism uh, is destructive in one way or the other. They, they, of course, believe that it's very good for them, that we're the ones being destructive. We're, we're the ones holding them back from uh, creating uh, universal health care and other you know, great policies for the homeless and, and such. I, I get that. But in reality, everything that they do is contrary to the, to the American mission. They don't have to like the American mission. Don't get me wrong. But it's contrary to it. The notion of individual responsibility, they don't like that so much. They, they, talk, they, they talk a good game about that, but they say, well, what about the poor guy who's handicapped and who is unable to get on his feet and, you know, through no fault of his own, who got maimed? Yeah, so they talk about, you know, the one out of a thousand people, and they want us to restructure our society based upon that. Well, I'm, I'm against that. Anyway, going back to the policy thing, it's all about the individual, they fall in love with Obama. Why? Partly because he's black, uh, partly because he's got this hope and change thing going on, and he's evocative of Che Guevara and evocative of, all, of this notion that's very appealing to young people, that the world will change, and, and that's what they're excited about, hope and change. And so they voted for him. And uh, it wasn't about effectuating liberal policy whatsoever. Same thing with Bernie Sanders, now that I think about it. I mean, he's the ultimate, right? Here's a guy that uh, they just, they love him because he's got this kind of, this, this wild-eyed look. That the, I don't know who described it, but he said it so well. Like these windmill arms that are, that are just kind of flying all over the place. And people like that. They're with Bernie, as it were, right? Bernie Sanders, 2016. You see what I'm talking about, Ari, right? I mean, it's, it's just um, they, they fall in love with the man or the woman, as the case may be. And uh, that, that has not changed since Kennedy. Now, Kennedy, you know, God bless him, he, he had very conservative policies. But the, the, the liberals voted for him because of who he was, the whole Camelot notion. You, you, you talked about that. I yeah, thought it was, well, it was well, a brilliant point. Right. And what about FDR? Same thing. Yeah, that's a good point. It, it was it was because he was FDR. It had nothing to do with what he was doing or not doing. Yeah, that's a good point. They they voted for him over and over again, four times, no less, because they felt comfortable with him. They felt that the country, you know, that well, it better not to change horses in midstream sort of approach. And you know, he put us into World War II, and that was a good thing for him. But but he really needed World War II to redirect the the attention. Uh, of the country away from the, the horrible depression that he put us, he put us all in. But anyway, but, but it's a cult of personality. That's what it was. The FDR was part of that. And he, he was very, um, he was very big on uh, massaging that message, making it clear that you're voting for him, FDR. You're not voting necessarily for liberalism or leftism or, or, you know, versus conservatism. You're voting for him. Yeah, it's like the individual the individual citizen is lost in every way with every one of their policies, but the only individual they care about is the elected official or yeah. despotic leader of their party, the the figurehead. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's just the same way, isn't it? When you when you think about Venezuela, um it's it's and this is to the extreme because talk about the cult of the personality, right? Which uh Hugo Chavez, he was exactly that. They, they he was the leader. He was Venezuela, for that matter. I mean, who, Napoleon said it best. He said, c'est moi l'état, right? I am the state. Le, le, sorry, l'état c'est moi. The state, the, the state, that's me, yeah. right? He wanted to have it one and the same. And, and you know, look, it's very appealing because after all, you know, your, your leader in a sense does kind of define your nation, but you, you want to kind of not think things through. You, it's a very important you know, to, to go forward with that person. Yeah, well, if you're living in a feudal society, and most communist, socialist societies degrade into feudalism at a certain point, as long as you have a, ben, uh, a benevolent and enlightened monarch, well, you might be in good hands. Might be. Yeah. But I can guarantee you're not in good hands if you don't have a benevolent and enlightened monarch. Yes, that's exactly right. And the left, for some reason, is involved with... Is, is, 
not involved, uh, infatuated with the feudalistic monarchical systems. Well, it's, and, and the funny thing is that they fail to recognize that, you know, the uniqueness of America. They, they will never, first of all, they'll never use the word exceptional with, with the notion of America. Not in the same sense that, that you and I think of it, exceptionalism, right? And they forget also America's uniqueness, not just today, but in history, generally speaking. I love t- telling my kids about, about revolutions and wars and such. It's exciting, after all, right? When you talk about, uh, um, you know, the, the World War II, when you talk about um, World War One and and the Thirty Years' War and uh, the, what, what the Romans did and what the Greeks did. But it's always the same pattern, isn't it, Napoleon too, where you know they try to conquer as much land as they can and much territory and hold on to it as for long as possible and then impose their, their will on the rest of these other people. And then eh, eventually it wanes. Uh, Genghis Khan is a good example. He has four sons, and they ended up dividing the empire that he created into four different territories, and that eventually collapsed as well. It's the cycle over and over again. And, and your kid, if they read enough history, they'll see there's, there's that pattern. But then along comes America with this crazy notion that the most important thing is not, not the personality of, of a leader, whether even if it's George Washington, it's, it's the, or Abraham Lincoln, or even Ronald Reagan. It is about the idea of liberty. And here it is. It's, it's so unique in history, and they fail to recognize that. And, but liberty, right. liberty costs a lot of time and energy, and it, it takes vigilance. It's far easier, now that we think about it, to descend back into the old patterns of saying, I love this leader, and now I love that leader, and he will take us to great places, unimaginable. That's, that's what they don't realize, how intellectually lazy they've become, that they're simply descending back into the old pattern of history. Yes, and it's, it's so great you just said that, because if you look at American history, this whole sweep of 240-some-odd years... Um, Every time we descend into that kind of thinking, it results in catastrophic situations and eventually war with other nations, bad wars. Meanwhile, if we stay the course of the ideas that celebrates the primacy of the individual citizen to rule his life for himself as he sees fit, we see these unbelievable times of peace and prosperity, this yeah. incredible growth of wonderfulness for everyone. Yeah, it's it's the mission. And, and the notion of Americanism is is completely opposite of the notion of the cult of personality, right? There's there's nowhere in the Constitution, there's nowhere in the Declaration of Independence, there's nowhere in the Federalist Papers, for that matter, where it says something like, you shall choose a great leader and make sure that he is virtuous and, and that he seeks to expand as much of, of uh, the world. And this is what he needs to look like. You mean no. in, the, in the First Amendment, it doesn't say there shall be no state established religion except for the worship you give for your dear leader? Yeah, I'm going to check on that. I, I, I want to say no. It's not there. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. You're sure? <laughs> I'm, I, I'm a lawyer. I tend to know some stuff, but the, the, I, I think it's not in the First Amendment. There's something about free speech and, and, and freedom of religion there. I, I, I'm, that's what I recall. Anyway, the point is, uh, all kidding aside, that that this notion of choosing just the right leader, it's nowhere in the Constitution. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? You can talk about what's in something and what's not in something, and that's what's not in there, right? It's all about the projection of an idea, the notion of liberty, and how to maximize liberty for the citizens, and, and we then project it to the world as well. And that's the, the true uniqueness of America. Yeah, isn't it interesting that for like the Second Amendment says the key, the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, but then these type of uh, uh, cult of personality leaders constantly come to power over you know the ebbs and flows of time, who then infringe on the right to keep and bear arms right. or the right to yeah. you know <laughs> manage well, your own affairs in one way or another. Right. Well, let's go through though, because you know I, I really want to kind of hone in on the point of the cult of personality, how the left loves the personality. The personality is always first. They will tell you, for example, and I remember this from a number of my liberal friends, how impressed they were with Obama because they said, listen, you know, he may not have as much experience politically as you would like, Barack, but he sure is surrounding himself with a lot of uh, very uh, intelligent people. Right. As if, 
as if what what makes good government is you know getting the right number of people in a room and they will fix things. They will you know you, you got this this notion of what, what's that uh, Indian god with a lot of arms? The, uh, Ganesh. Ganesh, right? yeah. Yes. And he's you know pressing all the right buttons at all the right time and everything. Oh no no um, sorry uh, like Vishnu or Vishnu yeah. yeah Ganesh is the elephant so. right so Vishnu that's right and he's pre- you know everything is being done just so and you know just the right amount of taxes just the right amount of interest rates, just, you know, (laughs) just the right amount of stimulus and just smart regulations and, you know, and and everything, that's, it's just, you know, it's like people who think that they control the weather. I mean, imagine that, that you think that you actually could have an effect on the weather. They do. What's that you say? (laughs) Yeah, Al Gore. (laughs) Oh my gosh, what an irony. So, so it's not, it's not inconsistent that somebody like Al Gore would think that we actually could affect the weather. But the, you know, it's so funny that they always say, you know, don't fool with Mother Nature, right? To to some extent, that's correct, right? You don't, you know, if you mess up your body too much with too many prescription pills, right? At some point, it's going to have so many side effects that you're going to have to take prescri- other prescription pills to deal with the the first problem that you have, right? Um, so, like if you take ADD pills, that's going to lead to some sort of depression. Then you have to take antidepressant pills. And it's like the, the fly, he ate the, the spider and, or the spider ate the fly and something like that. It just gets worse and worse. Whereas if you just leave things be, I call it mother economics, right? Leave mother economics alone. Let people do what they need to do. Adam Smith called it the invisible hand. Yeah, that's exactly right. Let, let people do things and let a, fly, a thousand flowers bloom. Things that you would never expect. That's the beauty of the American system is that we, you, you ask a conservative, what's business going to look like 20, 30 years from now? And he'll correctly say, I don't know. All I know, it's going to be different. It's going to be, it'll be cool. You know, the new gizmos of, the, you know, 20 years from now. What's the next thing that is similar to the internet, for example? I don't know. We can't predict it. But liberals, liberals don't like that. They like to control the image. They, they, and everything they do is about uh, their notions of regulations always deal with what is instead of the possibility of what might be different in the future. So, you know, there's, there's only everyone needs to have bike lanes, for example. Everyone there has to be subways. And, and, but what if, what if things change? Like they, they, they were, I remember my, my law school, they, they built this huge law library. And uh, while I was in law school, and then five years later, it more or less became irrelevant. You know, nobody goes to libraries anymore, right? I mean, it's a nice place to study, and there's a bunch of books all over the place, but I don't know that anyone actually pulls these books for actual research purposes anymore. So it's, you know, but that's the notion of a liberal. But getting back to the cult of personality, I want to take, uh, we, we talked a little bit about Hillary Clinton and how people want to vote for her because she's the first woman uh, because they, they like her image and her whatever it is. Uh, so that was a great example, the I'm with her notion. Same thing with Obama. We talked about him. Um, change. Hope, the hope, change in change. hope, right? Yeah. They were voting for him. They were not voting for – he happened to, to believe in liberal claptrap, but nevertheless, they weren't voting for liberalism. I'm, vo- I'm, I'm voting for the liberal ticket. You know, yes, in fact, that's what they do, but it's not the way they message themselves. They, yeah. they, they, they vote for themselves. Yes. Let's move on to, and we talked about Bernie Sanders as well. Um, and he was about socialism, but it, it was his fire in his eyes. It was a Bernie was the one delivering it. It was Bernie's socialism. It wasn't that they were voting for socialism itself, because how could it be? They don't even know what socialism is, right? So... All they knew is that he was talking about, you know, changing everything, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna make everything free, yeah. and and it was these wild ideas that were just pure socialist. Yeah, it's always we like him. Yeah, but, we, but we like him. Do? I don't I don't care. I like him. And the best example of it was Bill Clinton on, right. on the Democrat side. Here's a guy that, kind of, you know, the women were just you know swooning over him because you know he's handsome and he kind of is charming and he he makes you feel like you're the only person in the room and the only person he's talking to and. And everyone says, he's talking to me, he's talking to me. Like, who gives a crap? He's just a man. He's a deliverer of, of uh, his, in this case, liberal policies. And, and that's the reason why you vote for him. But you don't vote for him. You never actually dig deep underneath it. Again, 
It's individual first for them, policy second. Yeah, I, I was hoping you'd mention Clinton because I, I noticed at the time, and this is just a perfect example of it, he's embroiled in a bunch of scandals, let alone the one he was impeached for. But with scandal after scandal after scandal, and we've gone over the list before on this show and other places at nauseum. But whenever you would speak to a liberal about the actual policies or the actual substance of the scandal, they would always return to, well, I'm rooting for him and Hillary. I'm on their side. They're my team. Yeah. Team. This isn't sport, which is a distraction. This is having actual consequential effects on your and my life. And it did have an effect on your and my life on a date called September 11, 2001, eventually when all this stuff caught up. Right. Right. But it didn't matter. They were, and that's why the "I'm with her" was so effective at at getting the Hillary, you, you know, cult members to join in because it was it had echoes of that team building past. Right. You know, you know, it's a little bit like um, my one of my favorite rock bands uh, in the past has been Radiohead. Okay, and Radiohead had some great music. And they, they still belt out music that, that once in a while has one or two good songs. I find myself buying their albums regardless of the quality of the albums simply because Radiohead is the one pushing it out, right? You're on their but, team. Right. I'm on their team, as it were. I mean, I, I can yeah. do that. I can waste my money. I suppose it's a free country. But the reality is if it were to be a different band playing exactly the same music that Radiohead just you know, pulled out uh, in the last album, I would say this is Drek. This is garbage, right? It's, it's just not good anymore. And God knows why. I don't, maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's something else going on. But it's, you know, one song is really good, and the, the other two other songs are just kind of B minus, and the rest is more like a D. Why would I listen to this album? But I do. I bought it because they're my team. This is the Radiohead album. It's a cultural moment. The same sort of thing is true with some uh, authors that you, that you may read, and you, you read them, but had it been a standalone a novel by a new person, you would never have read this. Well, the best example, obviously, is sports teams. I'm a Raider and a Dodger fan. Right. It doesn't matter whether they're doing well or not, whether the team is good or not, or the product on the field that particular year right. is is worthwhile watching relative to other products on the field. That's my team. But you know what? My team isn't threatening to jack up my taxes. <laughs> That's right. If, if I choose uh, to fork over money, it's purely by choice. Right. Now, where, where this analogy kind of falls, uh, falls apart is that it's not as if Bill Clinton and, and Hillary Clinton did great things once upon a time, and now we want to just con, you know, continue seeing their greatness, and that they're now waning in their twilight years, and, and they've made some poor decisions since the great days of, of, of yore. No, they've, they've always made bad decisions. But what they're, in, in a sense, it's the same from the party point of view. So many, as we, we often joke around, many of the old-timer um, liberals are still voting for FDR. They think FDR because they, they've told they've been told in the history books that FDR really, you know, brought us out of the depression. Never mind that he actually put us into the depression. But they believe it. Put and us so they, in. Put it. This is an important point. Put us in and kept us there. And kept us there. Thank <laughs> right. you very much. Yeah, very consistent. <laughs> That's what he, he kept on finding ways to get us. Kept on kept on uh, digging into that wound so that it kept on festering and getting more infected. Thank you, FDR. Uh, and so the point is that it kept on going like this. But they, in their in their mind's eye, they felt that FDR was this caretaker president who really <clears throat> really reshaped America, made America great. And therefore, uh, we should keep on voting for that policy. And so these new people uh, are like the new albums that I'm talking about. They're just dreck. But again, that's in their minds. All right, here's the good news. It was always dreck. <laughs> it was always bad policy. Every single time that they effectuated it, they, they were incredibly consistent throughout all time. But again, it was the cult of personality that made them choose the, the people. Because and, and every time they, they pull out a new... Um, uh, a, a new um, a new candidate. It's uh, somebody that uh, they want to fall in love with. They present it as somebody that here's somebody you can fall in love with. What's what's the messaging we'll give about uh, Obama? What's the mess? How will we portray Hillary Clinton? How we do? How do we portray Bernie Sanders? It's the name Bernie Sanders with a capital B, 
and capital S, and you know what? Capital letters everywhere, <laughs> that, for that matter, right? Yeah, the one they're doing <clears throat> this week, in fact, Kamala Harris. Kamala shines at the Jim Comey yes, Harris. Yeah. Kamala shines opposing Trump. Freshman senator following Obama's playbook. These were actual headlines yeah. in the mainstream media this week because they're trying to throw this turd at the wall and see right. if it sticks. Hey, look, my brother and, said— and they, and they will go through every turd in the ball until one of them sticks. Right. My brother said it very well uh, once, and, and I think he's somewhat right on this, maybe half right. He said, um, Democrats, sorry, Republicans fall in line and Democrats fall in love with their candidates. And, you know, I think he's right about the second part of it. Uh, I, he he kind of makes this notion, I think he would be right if he looked at, let's say, the Robert Dole versus Bill Clinton election of, of 96. Uh, yeah, Dole in that particular situation was the guy who was in line and ready to be the candidate for the Republicans. Yeah, and the voters fell in line behind. Yeah, but his, but that's yeah. but that's one one election cycle. I don't think you can naturally say that that happens every single yeah, time. Yeah, you and I certainly weren't going to do that for <clears throat> Jeb Bush. No, I mean we had conversations yeah. going back a year, going if we're stuck with this. Right. You know what? I don't know what we're going to do. No. So, but, so I agree with him on the that, that, that portion where he says that Democrats fall in love. That's absolutely right. And that's the point. Democrats do fall in love. They fall in love with the individual whom they think is uh, the great liberal partisan for them, but more with an emphasis on the individual. I'm voting for Obama. I'm with him. I'm with her. And so on. Um, and, and we don't necessarily fall in love. We, we, we want somebody who is going to be the best person to effectuate uh, conservative policy. And we look to that person's history, whether it's Nikki Haley, whether it's Scott uh, Walker, whether it's Ted Cruz, or, and, and ultimately, uh, you know, Donald Trump. We didn't fall in love with Donald Trump. What we liked about him is that with the sense that he was going to uh, push past the liberal crap, clap trap, and, and he didn't give a crap what you thought. We thought, that's good. You think we voted for him because of his orange hair? You think we voted for him because he, he likes to tweet at night? You think we voted for him because he has a pretty wife or a prettier wife than Ted Cruz's wife? No. We couldn't care less about that. There's a lot of things about Donald Trump that are, are not palatable as a friend. I, I, don't, I don't think I can have a beer with him. I don't want to have a beer with him. I want a leader. I want to, be, I want to admire somebody. Because of his his ability to effectuate something, to do something that I don't think I can do, right? I look at Caesar. He was a great leader. Yeah. Okay. Not because he was well loved by his people, which which he was, but because he was a good strategist. He knew how to corner the enemy and to conquer land, and to eventually do the the bidding of Rome. That's that's why he was great. And the same thing would be true of, of uh, Napoleon and, and other things. Putting aside the cult issue, because there, there's elements of the cult of personality of Napoleon, for sure. Like we said, l'état c'est moi. That's what he would say about it. But he was still a brilliant strategist. He was a good leader. If you wanted somebody for purposes of effectuating French principles and liberty uh, as, as, the, as the, the French uh, wanted to espouse it, you know, he was good in that department. There were the reasons why the French, <clears throat> why good things happened with Napoleon. They did. He liberated t tremendous numbers of people, including the Jews. But uh, <clears throat> we want somebody who's going to effectuate <clears throat> our conservative position. That, and, and Trump, so far, is doing that pretty well. I don't want to eat my words on that, but so far, so good. Well, we have an advantage with Trump in this regard. Regardless of, of principles, conservatism, political philosophy, the man truly, authentically loves America yeah. beyond uh, any doubt. And that carries 90% of it right there. Oh, yeah. You know what? It's a really good point. Um, you can ask all sorts of other questions in terms of does this person love America? Does this person understand America? Does this, under, does, does this person understand the concept of what makes us unique? Does he get us? Does it get America, more importantly? You know, you, you see um, uh, couples, you know, the ones that work together really well are the ones that don't just say all the right magic words to each other. It's, it's the, the couples that understand each other, you know, they, do they get them, right? Does a husband get the wife and vice versa? And um, anyway, personality is very important. Now, let, let's, let's talk about 
And because no doubt the liberals screaming right now at the at this podcast. I and, hope so. That's yeah. why we do it. That's why we're here. <laughs> we're here to make the liberals angry. <laughs> I wouldn't be here otherwise. That's right. What would be the point? No, it's 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 really not. The the, the point, if anything, is to make uh, liberals at least think a little bit harder than uh, about what they're thinking. Or period. Okay. So now now to yes. make to make their argument for them, they will say, "What are you talking about? Your precious Jesus, uh, Ronald Reagan." He was, you know, he's your savior. You talk about him all the time as if he was a god. Uh, he, the answer is no, that's not correct. No. We, we, it, were he never elected in, um, in the year 1980, uh, he would be just another man that we would think, okay, well, he had good conservative principles, but he just didn't win, and that's that. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be talking about him in the loving way that we do. The reason why we talk about him in the loving way that we do is be precisely because of what he accomplished and because he cared conservative principles so well. Uh, we, we don't care about his look, his, uh, you know, his coiffed hair or anything else. He happened to have <clears throat> a, a, a great way of, of uh, great demeanor, and his speech was good, but nevertheless... Uh, it was because he carried the message clearly. That's what we liked about him so much. Right. It, and, and he fought liberalism. That's what he understood. Many of his most famous quotes are not about, um, uh, you know, the, uh, how, how great a leader he is, but how, how bad and how defective liberalism is. That's what we loved about him. You don't see that now with a lot of conservative speakers now. Even Donald Trump, he, I, I wish he would be more uh, an attacker of what, what, is, what does not work in liberalism. That would be great. <clears throat> but he'll get there. That's a winning argument, by the way. And, and as much as I don't like George Bush the father, George Bush won if you want, uh, he did effectively argue in the 1988 election against Dukakis. And he said, this, this, this man is a liberal. He used the L word with him. Yeah, well, it was and really, put him on the defensive yeah. about liberalism. Yeah, and you make such a great point. And he made such a good uh, battle strategy in the '88 election. The Democrats were forced in their search for the next cult of personality leader to pick the most conservative Democrat they could find. Right. Remember, Bill Clinton in 1992 ran a race as a conservative compared to George Bush. Yeah. The same way Obama ran as a conservative compared to McCain in 2008. Yeah. It was that's how effective he was at doing those that yeah. that that thing. Now, the difference between Bush and Reagan, and this uh, to your point about holding Reagan on that pedestal is the reason we do is because when trusted with the power over the long span of 8 years, Reagan fulfilled our hopes um, policy-wise and right. didn't back down and got the incredible results of freeing a huge number of people from communist tyranny and bolstering America again for what lasted 20-some-odd years. Right. Bush was not as effective over the long term at sustaining those policies. If he <clears throat> did, we would hold him uh, on the same um, uh, hypothetical Rushmore that we hold Reagan on. Again, not because of who they are, because of what he could have done. It's exactly right. And you know who, who the greatest example of this is was our very first president, George Washington. Right. He he understood this. He could very well have run for a third term, a fourth term, and fifth, until he died, if he wanted to. He could have been a king. I mean, literally, they, they, to make him king, if he wanted it, they, they would have said, okay. Yeah. But and all he would have needed to do is plunge the country into depression and keep it there, <laughs> and he would have stayed in power forever. Well, that's another story. <laughs> like but, FDR. But, but, but the point is that that's what the world was used to, and the Americans were used to. But, you know, he was the benevolent king. He would be better than King George III. At the very least, he got us, the Americans, and he would be our king, not a king uh, 6,000 miles away. That, that's the difference. He could have easily gone there, but he didn't. Think about it from the from the, the American standpoint. It's just the American experiment. He could very well have said, "Look, we 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 uh, shucked off this King George the the third guy and uh, Britain itself, and we we are American and such." But I'm your king, and I'll do the right thing. I'm the benevolent king. That's what he easily could have said, and everyone loved him. They respected him. He they thought that they made good decisions and such. Let's make him our king, and then and we trust him to have um, you know his son or whoever his heir might be. To, uh, to be the next, next designated king. But no, no, no. Surprise, after two terms, he said, I'm stepping down. He, held the, he himself held the Constitution 
higher than he held himself. That's, that's how mature he was. That's how uh, centered he was. I wonder why, hint, hint, God, okay? His belief in God allowed him to understand that he was not more important than the notion of liberty and God himself. Okay. Yeah, that belief in God gave him the strength and confidence to make such yeah. a decision. So the Constitution was far more important to him. He understood that, and he helped us see that. The country would survive without him, and he let the Constitution basically be the king, and it is. That's the way it should be. But liberals don't understand that. They see the Constitution as this nuisance, and they call it a living document, of all things. Like, okay, it means whatever you want it to mean. And, and you know, it's now that I think about it, it's all transgenderism, right? The same thing. Everything is trans. If you're, if you're a woman and you want to be a man, you can be a man. If you want the Constitution to say what you want it to say, well, it, it, it says it. It says uh, you can't infringe on the right to bear arms, but what that means is that you have the right to to infringe to bear uh, on the right to bear arms. It says you have the freedom of speech, but what we really mean is that you don't have free speech. Okay, that, it's all the trans world. Everything is transing, if you want, if that's a In verb. In transition. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. no I'm, I'm, everything is transing. everything, everything is crossing that's over one I mean, way or the other. In transition, it's constantly yeah. in motion, going yeah. from this to that and that to this. Yeah. Black is white. Yeah. Uh, man is woman. Dog is cat. You, you name it. Uh, you, you know, old is young, and teenager is adult. And yeah, you know. and we—that's how we wind up with stuff like this. For instance, don't say that because that's hate speech, and uh, we have a First Amendment that says we could ban hate speech. Right, which right, it doesn't. It's to right. protect the freedom right. of speech. Right, right. And, and, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, where did that come from? Right, sex is rape. You know, <laughs> uh, words are rape. I mean, it, you know, I, uh, you know, saying somebody is uh, looks nice today is is workplace harassment. I, I, whatever. It's, yeah, you have freedom of religion only in your church. Right. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. Not, not in your workplace, but only in your church. Everything is in transition. But let's get back to the cult of personality. So Ronald, the, the whole Ronald Reagan argument would not fly. We just respect him so much because he was able to advance conservative positions, and and we have we're so grateful in a sense because we get to say we told you so. Look what happened when we did put on a strong conservative. Uh, agenda, not necessarily a strong conservative president. He happened to be a strong conservative president. But the agenda got out there, and we did change the taxes. We, we did completely alter, ultimately, with, with our uh, welfare reform in the 90s as well. Look what happens when conservative principles um, abound. Great things happen, and that's, that's what we're so proud of. We don't give a rat's ass about who the leader is, what he looks like, what she looks like. We don't give a crap about this. You guys give a crap about that. That's why you're so hell-bent on saying the first black, the first woman, the first Hispanic, the first Jew, whatever it means. to That means so much to you. Why does it mean anything to you? That's why we just, we don't speak the same language. And so when I, when I say this to my brother or to my, uh, my fellow liberal friends who are very, uh, you know, very much in that camp. I, you know, I respect them, and I, I do think my brother is the most intellectual, uh, you know, liberal that, I, that I've ever met. Um, this is a, a, a dichotomy that, that you know, he wants to talk about the individual nuances of what Trump said, and isn't this bad? And um, and and he sees it as a kind of like a play-by-play of a of who's going to win this this game. Okay, fine. I'm, I want to talk about the the better. You know, how do we improve the NFL altogether, right? How do we improve the, the nature of the game? How do we make this a more honest game? Uh, how do we get more people in the, in, the, uh, in the stands, as it were, right? How do we make it more fair? That's what I'm more interested in. So we, we are always talking past each other. So when he brings up issues of Comey and, and uh, Trump and, I don't know, and, 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 and I— the email situation with Hillary and such, these are little nuances that mean very little to me. Um, what matters to me is the policy. I'll vote for Clinton. I don't care if they have a, a D after the name, so long as they're going to advance strongly conservative principles. I know they're not. That's why I don't vote for them. But I really don't give a crap. Right? I, I would have voted for Evan Bayh, uh, who was, I consider, a decent conservative in many ways, Versus, uh, you know, had we been faced with a terrible choice of, let's say, Evan Bayh versus uh, John McCain, I'll vote for Evan Bayh. I think John McCain is a terrible. Uh, I think he's a rhino in every respect. But at the end of the day, we want somebody who is clearly a conservative, who's going to move forward with conservative principles. Uh, 
But they, these guys, the liberals, they, they very much fall in love. And when it came to Clinton, <clears throat> Hillary Clinton, that is, this time they fell in love and they fell in line, to use my brother's very apt phrasing. I think it's really brilliant, actually. Uh, but she was the, the one who was right there. Yeah, Let's there's take some, it. something interesting just struck me. I think this is the first one in memory on their side, a primary, in which you had two people who were essentially both cult of personality types running against each other. Because yeah. normally you have one alpha cult of personality type and everyone else is a sack of potatoes, relatively speaking. Well, In 2008, you kind of had two, but it really, they made Obama the cult of personality and Clinton was not prepared for that. Well, I, th I think actually, uh, let me disagree with you a little bit on this because the I, I think that the Hillary-Bernie a dichotomy is exactly emblematic of everything we're talking about right now. I think she was the one that, that everyone was falling in line with. We didn't necessarily fall in love with Hillary. They wanted to fall in love with her, Hillary after the fact. She was their choice after all. So then they said, okay, well, now she's the nominee. Let's fall in love with her, right? It's a little bit like you get in a marriage with somebody that you're not in love with, and they say, well, you'll learn to love me. Right. <laughs> right? Yes. That's, that's what it is. And guess what? We, we, we never learn to love you. We, we, it turns out that we, we just... I have no interest in you whatsoever. You're not a good person. You're, you're, you're corrupt. You're, you're a liar. You, you, it'll never change. And, and by the way, you advance only these crazy liberal posi positions. Yeah. So the Bernie Hillary thing is a perfect example because they have to fall in love. That's their job. They must fall in love. They, they fell in love with Bur Bill Clinton. They fell in love with Obama. And, and now they're, they're falling in love with Bernie Sanders. They forgot that their mantra is to fall in love. And instead, they have this Hillary Clinton who has, yes, a machine, and, and partly because people fall, had, had fallen in love with Bill Clinton, but re in reality, they were, they were told to fall in line at the same time as falling in love. Isn't that interesting, now that I think about it? And so, boom, they had this horrible dichotomy where Bernie Sanders almost took it, the, the nomination, that is, from Hillary Clinton. He was really nipping at her heels. And she had to lie and cheat in order to make sure to push away this Bernie Sanders, whom everybody was, in, was falling in love with. That was her problem. It was, her own cult, it was their side's own cult of personality that was eviscerating her success. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Now you, now I, I, I mean, yeah, and, let, let, and, I, and I was just wanting to take your take on a, a year. Let's just pick this year, '88. You mentioned it with the the, the Bush Atwater campaign. Atwater yeah. was the guy who ran Bush's campaign That's right. that year. That's right. Because remember, this is George H. W. Bush. He's not the greatest candidate, but Atwater is a great messaging guy. But on the Democrat side, among the Dukakis who got the nomination, you had Richard Gephardt and Al Gore, and I think a couple others. I think like. Uh, Fritz Hollings and, uh, oh, I know who you had. I think you had um, Tom Harkin or someone like that. None of them are capable of being cult leaders. Right. And the Democrat Party base is desperately trying to attribute cult leader Jim Jones's status to one of them <laughs> and can't do it. Like, you know, it's not fitting in the peg, in the, in the, uh, yeah. the they, receptacle they, they, for the peg. Right. Uh, ironically, the, the person that, they, they could have – they're looking for a Ronald Reagan, but you know, too bad it's a conservative that they're looking to that, – that is irony, right? That, that, they, that, that in, the, in their desperate effort to fall in love with somebody, they, what they're really aspiring to is somebody who was just very effective, like Ronald Reagan. And uh, you know, it's funny that you point out Kamala Harris as somebody that they're trying to appeal to. They're looking always to fall in love instead of just looking – you know, I, I, there's more than a few um, – single ladies that I know, and when they talk to me about, um, you know, why are they not meeting this nice guy, and why, why can't they get married, and such like that, they, you know, it's understandable. They want to get married. They want to have kids. They want to have a family. It's very much in, the, in, in a lot of women's programming, right, in their DNA, if you want. Uh, and, and fortunately, it's, it's, in, it's a lot of men's also, but really it's more built in, more hardwired for women. They want that stability. They want that notion of protection. Uh, they want to know that they can build a family within, uh, you know, a loving and, and secure home. And then you ask them, well, what kind of man do you want? And they always say the same thing. I want to be in love. I want to, you know, it's the way he makes me feel. It's that this, and, and I, 
and he's got to be handsome and he's going to be athletic and he's got to be working for Greenpeace and he, you know and oh and also running a very important CEO you know as a CEO of a very important company and also of course have all this time to take them on vacations and and uh, you know know their feelings all at the yeah, same time. I want a 28 year old supermodel who's unemployed who has all the time of an unemployed guy to cater to me who's also running five companies as a CIO, CEO and has no time for me because he's so busy and ambitious right. and successful. Well, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, and, and, that and, does not exist. Right. <laughs> putting, aside, putting aside that it doesn't exist. <laughs> putting aside that it doesn't exist. Okay. What they're really explaining is that same dichotomy that we're talking about. Right. They yes. want to fall in love. Okay. And, and what you should be telling them and the advice that they should be taking is, listen, what you want is a good guy. Okay. If he's decent looking, that's, that's great. That's just gravy. Okay. But what you want is somebody who gives a crap about you, who loves you and is a hard worker. And it doesn't understand a woman's feelings as well as, as you understand women's feelings. That's what girlfriends are for, right? They can, they can talk about their feelings and such like that. Men don't have that same notion of it. What you want is a protector, somebody who wants to make money, somebody who, of course, is not an alcoholic and doesn't do drugs, but you know, somebody who is a provider. That's what you want. You want a nice guy, a good guy, all right? That's the mission. And that's exactly so emblematic of what we're talking about. The nation needs a good guy, an effective guy, uh, and whether if he's brash in the process, who gives a crap? He doesn't understand your feelings so much, who gives a crap? What matters is, does he get the job done? Does he put food on the table, as it were, right? Does he protect the family, as it were? Meaning right? the country in this. Right. Yeah. Does he, does he encourage the children, so to speak, to rise up on their own? And, and assume responsibility, as it were, right? All those things. It's a perfect analogy yeah. when you think and, about and it. Isn't it interesting that by being a cult leader or, or yearning for cultish, fall-in-line personality, it undermines the very ability of someone to be good. People who are cult leaders, by definition, are atrocious people. Oh, yeah. And they lead... Nations that become atrocious. And it, we need goodness on both sides. The reason we adore, you and I adore Ronald Reagan, is because of the, the principles, the, accomplish, the accomplishments, the results, and the fact he was good. And the fact that by being what he was, he made the citizens of our country good. Because right. you need both a good leader and good citizens. If you have that, 99% of every problem that you might face as a nation is immediately solved by the values inherent in the leader and the right. citizenry that puts him there. Part of what makes a great leader, by the way, is the way they handle opposition. Right? There will always be opposition. Ronald Reagan wasn't a great leader merely because he happened to have no opposition. It, he, he did have opposition. Yeah, unlike right. Obama, yeah. no opposition. Yeah, I'll, 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 get, I'll, I'll get to that. He had opposition. It's the way you deal with opposition that makes you effective. Interesting, isn't it, that uh, – forget, forget about whether he had no opposition or, or – I mean, but he did. Even Obama had opposition. We were opposed to him right away. And then there was the – the, uh, the, tea, the, the Tea Party and so many other things. And then, of course, in 2020, he was, 2010, he was slaughtered in the elections. As he even said himself, we got a shellacking, right? And the point is that it's, he, dealt, he dealt with his own opposition. How did, how did Obama deal with opposition? Uh, in an effort to suppress, to push down, to mock, right? Reagan, by contrast, um, was constantly... Uh, dealing with opposition, but you never hear him ever being accused of oppressing, of suppressing, or any sort of corruption in that department. Right? You mean he didn't use this NSA or the uh, IRS against people? Yeah, nothing really? like that. Yeah, you sure? For some reason, because he had the confidence, unlike a cult of personality leader, to know that hey, uh, the Constitution is is fantastic, and what what true leadership means is, you know, getting people to be enthusiastic about your agenda. And to move forward with that, convincing them that this is the right way to go. And, and Reagan was fantastic in that, really fantastic. And, and that's why we so admire him, because he's able to, to capture the message and to move the message forward. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, about world leaders, in, in fact, because the cult of personality is so important. 
as as uh, as symbols of what works and what doesn't work, right? So, uh, not Maduro. Uh, what's his name? Um, Chavez. Chavez. Yeah. And for that matter, Fidel Castro, and for that matter, Che Guevara, and for that matter, um, Ceausescu, and all these other people. These are leaders of their countries who just suppress their people. They, they, want, they, they were cult leaders, uh, and they demanded to be viewed as cult leaders. I mean, Ceausescu is my, in a sense, my favorite uh, corrupt, horrible dictator because he was so bizarre. He demanded the press to refer him as the shining light. You know, and, and so that's what they did. And after a while, they began to believe that they indeed you know, were the shining light because the paper said so. It's, it was all self-referencing. Yeah, and one quick note that is just incredibly ironic. You know Kim Il-sung, the grandfather of the modern Kim in North Korea. He learned to call himself basically the sun god from Ceausescu. Right, and vice versa. Right, yeah. they, they, they came up with that. Oh, they, they loved it. And Anyway, the point is that they demand these things. They, they suppress. And if, if there's any opposition to them, well, then you kill them. You imprison them, kill them, torture them. Do what you need to do to make sure that the opposition learns. And, and Obama, you know, wasn't guilty of, of all those horrible things that Ceausescu do. But, but that's only because he, he was limited in his powers. Thank God, right? I mean, but, but had he not been limited in his powers, I, I'm very confident that Obama... Uh, who, who believed so much in his cause, and I don't think believed in God whatsoever, he would easily be a Ceausescu. He would easily be a Kim Il-sung. He would easily be a, a Fidel Castro. Because, you know, when you have unlimited power, you get to do uh, unlimited things, and you get to justify it in the name of a greater good, whatever you perceive that to be, a greater utopia, if you yeah, want. And You're in my way. You are in my way of my, the utopian vision that I have for the world, at least for my country. And because of that, you're an enemy of the state, and I get to do with you what I will. Yeah. That, that's, that's the difference. And, and Reagan, because he was such a good messenger, never had to worry about doing that. He dealt with the opposition. He understood that. George Washington was fantastic at that, too. You don't hear any stories of corruption by George Washington or how he was trying to hide information and to, to channel it. Um, it, it right? It's, it's the same thing with Lincoln. I mean, he had to deal with tremendous opposition. Um, and at the same time, he just knew that what, what mattered was the Constitution, what mattered was Americanism, what mattered was liberty. And, and the liberals don't get that. They, they are all about the cult of personality. They don't realize they're going backwards in time. They don't realize that they're just going back to the days of the kings and queens and the emperors and the, and the despots. They think that somehow you choose just the right people and everything great will happen. Like we talked about the, the Venice, right? Um, Vishnu. 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 I, I, I hope I'm not insulting anybody. But anyway, the point is that, you know, no, there is no such thing where you have these the perfect group of people. Well, okay, because it begs the question, what happens when one of those people decide to leave for whatever reason, for a better job? Uh, are you, does it all collapse? That, that's not how this government works. It doesn't say, nowhere in the Constitution does it say, uh, it, this will work only if you get the perfect, uh, you know, a group of people surrounding you. No, this is this is supposed to be about caretaking. It's, and what what, do you, what are you caretaking? You're supposed to be caretaking the Constitution to make sure that it's that it's honored correctly. That you're not supposed to be abusing it. And God forbid to say that the Constitution says the opposite of what it actually says. That's not what it's for. They don't get that. So you have these. Um, the cult of personality types, whether it's um, Che Guevara and um, the Venezuelan guy. Oh, my gosh. I keep on forgetting his name. Maduro now, Hugo Chavez. Hugo then. Chavez. That's yeah. right. That's why I, I meant Hugo Chavez and Ceausescu and Pol Pot and, and Tito, for that matter. And even Stalin and Lenin. These are all people. And Hitler, of course. These are all cult of personality types that they, that they, they fed upon it. I mean, every single one of them, by the way, including Saddam Hussein, now that I think about it, they all put... They didn't put their flags up on the walls. They put their own pictures on yeah, the walls. Yeah, their headshots. Like their headshots. At, at the, uh, the palm. Right. And, yeah. and, and always very, uh, you know, younger photos and, uh, you know, with more hair always. right? And, and thinner photos, um, much more healthy and happy and looking forward, you know, some direction. God knows where to. But in some direction, they're looking forward. Yeah, and to that, the bright horizon. Right. Yeah. And, and you should be inspired as a result of this picture. But you should be loving him. Usually it's a him. Uh, and if it's not him, then it would be like Evita. Evita did the same thing. It's a cult of personality. And you, you love that stuff. And, and so when we talk to you, 
when we debate with you, your first instinct, my liberal friend, is to talk about that personality and to say, well, you know, your, your personality, in this case, Donald Trump, he screwed up when he did this tweet. He did that. So that's the way they understand it. But you see, folks, it's, it's a little bit like expecting your, your electric car to, to run on diesel. It's not going to. These are two different paradigms, two different languages, if you want, two different operating systems. You name it, that's what it's like. We are, we are running on different operating systems. Yeah, and, and then we're, we're so surprised that we don't understand each other. Yeah, and when we hear uh, things about Trump that says, you know, he grabbed this or grabbed that or he tweeted this or that, our response is, so? Yeah. So what? Did he win the war? Did ISIS die today or did it grow today? Did did Iran get closer or farther from a nuclear weapon? Right. Did he defend America's interests or didn't he? Are, are, is our economy growing or shrinking? Is right. my life better or worse? Yeah, that's, that's, and, that's, and, why, that's why it's yeah. so incredibly important to them. It was so incredibly meaningful to them. When that video of uh, Trump coming out of the, the Trump, the, the Billy Bush The bus tape. with Billy Bush yeah. grabbing the, the yeah. cap. Forget about his phrase. We, we all know. We'll just call it the Billy Bush video. When the Billy Bush video came out, so many of my liberal friends, and I, I'm sure for yours, they all said, oh, Trump is done. It's over. And understandably, they believed that because of their paradigm of the cult of personality. Yeah. He now popped the balloon about the, the, the personality that he had, the, whatever veneer he had of perfection, it's gone, baby, gone. Right. And you lose, <laughs> dude. Right? That's, that the was living the whole, God on earth is, yes. is evaporated. Yeah. Yes. But that's the way, because that's the way they understand things. And you and I, at the time, and before, said, look, it's not great. We'd rather not be there. But we don't know that this is going to have a, a terrible impact on this. I don't think anyone's going to not vote for him for this, or very few people will. And, and frankly, they kind of might vote for him for this yeah. because right. he, he, he's, he's brash. And maybe people like that brashness. Oh, and guess what? They do. They said it over and over again. They like the fact that Trump uh, doesn't give a crap what you think about him. It's more important to move the, the, the ball forward. Right. And how many dyed-in-the-wool Hillary Clinton voting feminists were – Going to vote for Trump if that video didn't come out. Yeah. How about zero? Yeah. Of course. And, and but there is something very interesting that happened subsequent to that uh, that release, which was the complete evaporation of Hillary Clinton's um, omnipotence, which was the 9/11 collapse video. Yeah. Because when someone who has a cult of personality following suddenly has a seizure on live television, well, yeah. that can undermine the veil of immortality. Now, can't it? Right. That, that, that is the problem. And when, you're, when you decide to uh, hit your train, right? Yeah, hit your train. Hit to, your car. Hit to, your car yeah. to, to the, the train of personality. Let's put it that way. You better, you better make sure that you're perfect. Right. That's the problem is that, yes, you get to do the lazy approach and you get to do the, you know, look at my picture and look at, but you better make sure your makeup is perfect. Right. You better make sure that you wear the right dress. You better make sure that you say everything perfectly and, and that you're, you know, there's no toilet paper coming out of your, your pants. Right. Yeah. (laughs) No one should see that you've ever had a bowel movement before. Right. Exactly. The day of that photo. Your health had better be perfect and everything else. Because once you, you decide that, you know, be careful of the world you, you want, you just might get it. Everyone's going to be watching you. And, and in the election of, of 2016, that's what ended up happening is that everyone, all the cameras focused on how imperfect uh, Hillary Clinton was. People voted based upon her uh, being so imperfect and the collapse on, on September 11, not, of course, 2001. We're talking about 2016, that what happened there, and it really kind of burst that bubble. Whereas we don't have that paradigm with Donald Trump, who, had, who made so many guffaws and uh, odd tweets and such. Uh, so then they're, then they're surprised that, you know, he still manages to move forward. But why are you surprised, my friends? Why were you surprised during the campaign? He made so many things that were supposedly uh, things that would crater his candidacy. And, and in fact, it just kind of boosted up his personality, his, his candidacy. And then you, you kept on thinking that this will crater him, this will crater him. And it ended up not having any impact. In fact, sometimes it actually helped his popularity. So <laughs> you had no idea. And, and what you're witnessing was exactly that, that people were tired of the cult of personality. In many ways, that's what this election was about in 2016. It's a fascinating study. It may have been a return to the notion that what matters is policy, 
not personality. That is what we need to learn from today. And if you see it from the world leaders, and, and we, we, we dare not forget the lesson of world history, that personality is dangerous, it's destructive. It's what makes, what's so different for America vis-a-vis -vis the rest of the world. You want cultural personality? Fine, it's everywhere in the world except for America, at least good for today. But don't let it infect us today because you know what? It will destroy us all. Like it, it has destroyed every empire and every other country in history. Other than that, it's a great idea. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next week. 